Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, January 11th. Happy New Year. I hope that everyone's 2024 is off to a great start. Our Christmas decorations are down and packed away, and the garbage truck picked up our mostly dead Christmas tree from the curb. It's all downhill now. Or is it uphill? That's what we're going to talk about on this first episode of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast of the new year, our big predictions for the year ahead in healthcare. Working their healthcare Ouija boards for us today are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Dave, I've been in a very deep black hole writing, and I just looked up and noticed it's January 11th, and I haven't shoveled snow yet. It's barely been above freezing, lots of rain cloudy all the time. I just want to know when Chicago became Seattle. Julie, maybe you can figure that out for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Thanks, Dave. Julie, you have an answer and how are you doing? Well, I just spent the week at JP Morgan well out of any kind of hole, Dave, and San Francisco had Seattle weather because it was JP Morgan, of course. So, you know, (laughs) rain, clouds, snow everywhere. Yeah. How was the conference? Same as always, better than usual? you know, more sane, but a lot of people from the healthcare services and digital health world are still going. So plenty to do, plenty to see. Good to hear. Thanks, Julie. Now, before we talk about what's ahead for healthcare in 2024, I want to wrap up your holiday experience. Dave, what was the best, worst, or most interesting gift uh, you received this year? I used to be a bigger tennis fan than I am now. And I remember watching Stepan Edberg, the fantastic Swedish tennis player, win a big tournament. And they were interviewing him afterward. He said, happiness is a modest thing, which I've always carried with me. Believe it's right. And uh, so this year, my favorite gift was a puzzle board. Got four pull-out drawers. It's got a cover so that we can put it on so our cats don't disturb all our hard work. And I just think my new puzzle board is modest, but it definitely makes me happy. So go Stephen Edberg. No, that that's great. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? What was the best, worst, or most interesting thing you received this year? Well, I think I'm becoming... I mean, maybe too easy to read or too predictable, but I carry a water bottle every day with me. I drink a lot of water. And this year I received two water bottles. (laughs) So I think people are reading me and who I am and, you know, what I need. It's funny. How many How many more did you pick up at the J.P. Morgan conference? <laughs> I'm having a hard time transitioning to the new water bottle, though, so I don't know. It's been It's been a thing. Uh, Good. Stay hydrated. Thanks, Julie. I'll go most interesting. And it was a ring doorbell from my kids. Our doorbell has never worked for the 30 years that we've been in this house. Uh, Now I see and hear everything that goes on right in front of my house, including getting alerts from other ring doorbell users in my neighborhood. Now I know what the expression ignorance is bliss means. I hope it doesn't turn me into another Gladys Kravitz when I retire. (laughs) Those of you who watched Bewitched when it was on will get that reference. Uh, Dave, you remember Gladys Kravitz, right? (laughs) 
I do. And I often wish I could uh, just wrinkle my nose and be in a different place. <laughs> uh, all right. That's a, that's a good transition to what we're going to talk about. You know, what will we get from healthcare in 2024? That's the question. Uh, Dave, give me your big prediction for healthcare uh, this year and maybe a runner up or two. Well, Gen AI was my big story for 2023. I also think it's going to be the big story for 2024. So I'll talk a little bit about that as well as CRISPR and then end with some big picture philosophy questions. How's that as a way to start the year? Sure, sure. This week, uh, when I wasn't writing, I happened to listen to a fascinating discussion between Scott Galloway from NYU Stern School and Mustafa Salomon, the co-founder of DeepMind, the AI company acquired by Google. And they were talking about Gen AI and the world economy and, you know, history and everything else. Big, big picture discussion. I'm a huge Galloway fan and follow his blog, No Mercy, No Malice. He was the author of the book, The Four, from 2017 that really opened new thinking on Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. He somehow missed Microsoft, but that was before Nardella got there, so you can forgive him for that. Anyway, Mustafa made, I thought, some really interesting points about Gen AI. He said it's unlike any paradigm-shifting general-purpose technologies. Those are ones that change the world, you know, like the wheel. So first he's saying it is a GPT, but he says it's different because it can independently improve. It doesn't necessarily follow instruction by design, which means that it can act autonomously and doesn't necessarily follow human instruction. So for all these reasons, he thinks that means we should be paying proactive attention to this particular technology, Gen AI, and be as thoughtful as we can now in terms of regulation and guardrails before it you know, develops too much further. You know, Galloway, kind of a cynical guy by nature, which probably makes him more insightful. I think he thought Mustafa was being a little overly dramatic. He used the word techno-narcissism at some point. Both agreed that the technology has unprecedented potential benefits, but also problems. And Galloway identified three problems, misinformation. And he's really worried that Putin and company will do a number on us during the 2024 election. That's something to think about. He's also worried about loneliness, particularly in young men. Evidently, searches for AI girlfriends are just exploding. And then the last thing is job destruction. And of those three, he was least worried about job destruction. He thinks the concern is overblown. Historically, we've always adapted to new technologies that have taken away jobs. And he's reasonably confident that will happen again. And this is where it got interesting because Mustafa wasn't having any of that. He thought if Galloway was so concerned that the machines are good enough to replace jobs now, to become our significant others, and to do deep fakes on us in the political realm, why in the world would he not think that the machines could outrun human beings who try to retool themselves into new professions? Because that's hard enough to do already. And the machines themselves do it in an almost organic way, and they keep getting better and faster at it. You know, intelligence is power. So with that note, let's shift over to CRISPR. My holiday reading included Walter Isaacson's phenomenal book, The Codebreaker, about Jennifer Doudna from Berkeley, who 
is one of the principal developers at CRISPR and won the Nobel Prize for it a few years ago. And I guess what struck me about the book as I was going through it is that in terms of science, we've become almost as good at genetic engineering and editing genetic code as we have at editing computer code. I mean, you can actually go online now and for 99 bucks buy a kit that will genetically engineer frogs legs to double their size. And so, you know, in all the talk about Gen AI, we're sort of forgetting or not paying as much attention to this also incredible progress that's being made in genetic engineering. And this is where I'm going to shift now to kind of a big picture philosophical discussion. You know, the big sort of novels in the mid-1900s about the future society were by authors like George Orwell, you know, 1984, Animal Farm, The Time Machine, and Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, which was actually about genetic engineering. And underlying those books, which were all bestsellers, was the belief that the biggest threat to mankind was application of these technologies by totalitarian regimes. And we certainly have that concern today when you look at China and Russia and so on. But there's an equivalent concern about just having the free market decide who gets access and who doesn't to these technologies, particularly the genetic ones, because they could permanently re-engineer a smarter, better looking, more athletic class of people. And so these questions about what we do and how we manage these technologies in ways that they don't further increase are already gaping inequality, uh, not only in this country, but throughout the world is a really important question. And I guess I'm with Mustafa on this. Uh, We need to be thinking proactively now about the guardrails, about the regulation. And nowhere is that more true than in healthcare. Man, that makes my ring doorbell story look pretty sad, right? (laughs) It's like like a can opener (laughs) compared to what you're talking about. Wow, thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? That's a lot, Dave. You know, on the AI front, Galley also talks about how so much funding went into AI last year. I think he said something like four and five American unicorns are now AI related or something. So what do you think is going to happen with AI this year in terms of its impact on the economy versus its impact on now end customers and, you know, those who it will affect? Where where will you see a bigger effect? I mean, I have no evidence to back this up, but I'm increasingly convinced the reason we didn't go into recession last year and likely won't this year is because of the productivity boost that we've gotten from Gen AI almost from inception. That's unprecedented in modern economic history. I mean, it took 10 years for the PCs to have an impact on productivity in the US. They were actually negative for a while because it took people some time to to figure out how to use them. So I think that AI will continue to get better, will continue to grind away It's going to figure out how to let us write in Word without all these kind of stupid corrections that it makes now. (laughs) Here, here. So I think both are going to happen. We're going to get productivity improvement and the user experiences will get better. 
the question is, when does AI really start to take jobs away? And uh, I think that will probably start this year as well. Wow. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Julie, now it's your turn. Tell us about your big prediction for healthcare in 2024 and maybe one or two runners-ups. Or is it runners up? Dave, is it runner ups or runners up? <laughs> I think it's uh, S apostrophe um, would be uh, and, and if it's more than one. Um, I think it's runners well, up, I think. Runners up. OK. All right. We'll see. We'll see if word <laughs> corrects that. All right. Go for it, Julie. What's in your crystal ball? Well, like Dave, I looked back at last year and last year I talked about Medicare because we were expected to cross over to having the majority of our Medicare eligibles on M.A., and pharmacy management. And I didn't predict that we would see tightening in Medicare Advantage, but I did say it was going to be the year Medicare. So there's something there. And on the PBM side, actually, Blue Shield came out with their huge announcement and Capital RX did a multi-system co-investment that hit health systems with a splash. And Amazon got in the game with Mark Cuban in partnership around Blue Shield. Like A lot happened in the PBM. So you know, I like it when predictions sort of work. So, you know, I love to talk about technology. So it's hard for me to avoid that in a related prediction. And if 2023 was the year of AI, as Dave said, or of GPT in general, 2024 will be the year of GLP-1s, Ozempic, Manjaro, all the weight loss. And while it feels like a huge splash in 23 for them, health systems just can't innovate fast enough for this disruption coming their way with this, I think. More than 70% of our nation is obese or overweight, and that prevalence has tripled over the last 50 years, and the cost is almost $2 trillion. So while today the zip codes with the greatest penetration of GLP-1s are the most fit, like Manhattan and LA, the drug is mostly really going to impact those who need it. And if we can get those drugs to the right people as more come to market as supply evens out, we're going to see major impacts, not just in pharma doing well, but I think in health systems really getting hit in the bariatric surgery side. I just talked to a physician this week who owns a weight loss company that's focused on just you know meal, food, and exercise control. She's worried about their practice. So I think health systems and providers will be hit here in a big way. And I don't think that, you know, we're going to see Toast or McDonald's or some of those, you know, food companies impacted in 24, but it's coming. That's for sure. Let's hope McDonald's gets hit. A few of my runners up, runner ups, runners <laughs> I'll up, take, Dave. I'll accept either answer. <laughs> <laughs> I've said this before, but I think voice is coming, but I don't think healthcare will see the big hit in 24, but voice is coming. On the workforce front, my prediction is that digital innovation here has also not been fast enough. But those places where workforce is really suffering, like in medical coders, workforce is really suffering. Those are jobs where AI can actually really do something. And I think we'll see AI take an effect in medical coders, for example. Other jobs, nurses, you know, patient care. It's going to take a lot, and we're seeing increases in roles like community health workers really increase. So I think we're going to, I predict, we're going to throw humans at the problem in a big way in 24 where we can, which is going to create more cost problem, but we will see tech take over in some places. And then last but not least, and my very fun prediction. Let's hear it. I think the 
the psychoactive drug treatment <laughs> will start to become mushrooms, baby. Mushrooms. <laughs> That's right. More mainstream discussion, you know, mushrooms. Apparently, Dave knows what he's talking about. Ketamine. <laughs> psilocybin that's what that is mushrooms to treat behavioral health and i don't predict that we'll see these widely reimbursed in 24 but employers are already making them available as a benefit to employees because they're doing anything they can around behavioral health so i think we're going to start to see this more in the mainstream wow that that's that's fascinating that that's great thanks julie dave any questions for julie there's a lot to choose from there (laughs) Yeah. Where's Timothy Leary when you really need him? <laughs> I'm going to go back to the GLP-1s because that that really is fascinating. Clearly, the healthcare system is overmatched when it comes to trying to reverse our epidemic of chronic disease. And I guess my question for you is, as we get more manufacturers, as these drugs come into the marketplace, has the price comes down, is this particular technology and others that reinforce it going to be the one that becomes our way to pursue more of a pro-health agenda in this country? Yeah, it's a good question because <laughs> the the impact on people I've known who've taken these drugs, it's like a night and day experience. and you read about what people find they can do with their lives that they never thought they'd ever do again. So I do think it's an awakening, perhaps in a different way than psilocybin, but it's an awakening that could really shift how we think about how we lead our daily lives. However, even though I put it in in the technology category, it is a drug. And I think because Americans like to be able to to hit the easy button and take something that allows them to continue to eat McDonald's. Maybe they'll eat less McDonald's, but they're still going to eat McDonald's. So I'm a little bit afraid that it's not really about the health revolution. I think it's the easy button revolution. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. My prediction, and uh, I think it's an easy one to make, and that's uh, we're going to see an unprecedented level of state and federal regulation this year. I wrote a column last month that said we're in the golden age of healthcare regulation. And uh, I don't think we've seen anything yet. And that's what happens when you misbehave or people think you're misbehaving, right? So uh, (laughs) everything will be in the federal register. So there you go. Now let's talk about other big news that happened this past week. Julie, anything else we should know about? Well, you might have seen that Amazon launched a health monitoring program with Omada. And this is pretty interesting to me because this is really Omada getting more visibility to consumers for its product through the Amazon channel. But Omada has to be a covered benefit for the Amazon consumer, I mean, Prime member, to be able to use Omada. So it's almost acting like a bit of a navigation tool to let those know who have the benefit that, hey, this is something you have, by the way. So use it if it applies to you. And there's a screening tool to see if you're eligible. And it's hyper convenient because it's right there. So interesting first step for these two. Yeah, really consumer oriented. That's great. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Dave, what other news caught your attention this past week? Well, one thing that really caught my attention was a study in JAMA on medical error. The study looked at 
2,500 medical records of patients who either died or went into the ICU across 29 academic medical centers. And the results weren't good. 23% of these 2,500 patients had a medical error. 18% of that 2,500 experienced temporary or permanent harm because of that error. And of this group, 863 ultimately died. And in 7% of those cases, the error was a contributing factor in the patient's death. First do no harm, uh, not so much. We got some work to do. Take your weight loss drugs and stay out of the hospital. Yep. Right. <laughs> there you go. If you take anything away from this podcast, I think that might be it. That's great. Thanks, David. Thanks, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.